If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like for you to turn over to the um, 59th chapter of the book of Isaiah. I've been reading through the book of Isaiah, and as I told you last week, I'm a slow reader. I like pictures, remember that? And um, the book of Isaiah has a lot of um, uh, things in it for us to look at. It's a rather lengthy book. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah um, deal with God's judgment on his people for their disobedience to him. Now, I'm going to say this, and I hope you understand what I'm getting ready to say. Do you know that judgment is coming? One of these days, God's going to split the eastern sky and I'm not talking about the rapture of the church. I think he'll do that before that happens. But he's going to come in power and rule and reign on this earth. And I believe in, during that thousand-year millennial reign that he will make things right. Do you ever long for things to be right? I, I, I think about the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Amazing. Some of the stories of coming out and the terrible... Uh, cold weather they are enduring and finding bodies and pulling them out. Terrible, isn't it? And I get up and I think sometimes, Lord, why have you blessed me so much? You've been so good to us. And uh, But God's going to come. And I think today, uh, too many preachers, in my opinion, uh, really don't talk about judgment like they ought to. But the book of Isaiah does that. But also in that judgment, God's also saying in the latter part of the book about a Messiah who would one day come in Jesus Christ. Great promise that we have. Now we are people who look back on this book because all of it has occurred and Jesus has come and died on the cross and um, made uh, propitiation for us. And I appreciate the songs that we sung tonight. I think they were so appropriate uh, for the message that I have tonight. And I want to look a little bit tonight in um, the 59th chapter. I want to three, read three verses there. I hope you have your Bibles, or if you have a phone or whatever you do with those things. Um, I never looked at my phone as being spiritual, um, but I found that I, there's a lot of good things I can get on this afternoon. I went for a walk and uh, walked about a mile and a half, and um, I was listening to Adrian Rogers uh, preach. I mean, there's a lot of good things you can do with these phones, okay? Listen to some music also. But um, I want to read this, and I'd like for you to stand. I know it's hard for me to get up, I understand that, but in honor of God's Word, I think we ought to uh, read these first uh, three verses of fifth ninth chapter of Isaiah. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your Lord, and your sin hath hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perverseness. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I have no ability tonight. You know me, and I know me, 
And I would not stand before this people tonight without anticipating that the Holy Spirit of God would be here and would be able to speak through me and meet the need of every heart that is here. God, we are a needy people, but you have provided so much for us in salvation, in um, our daily lives. We are a blessed people. And yet, sometimes I feel like I fail you miserably, and I confess that to you. Sometimes I'm busy with the world, the things of the world, daily living, just the issues of life. And I forget that you are wanting to deal with all of those, and that you want to give me strength, and that you want to give me peace as we sing in these songs here tonight. So God, I just trust you to speak through me and you meet the need of everyone's here. I pray if there's anyone lost here tonight doesn't know you in the forgiveness of sin, I don't believe it's by chance they are here, but I pray that maybe the Holy Spirit would prick their heart to the point that they would turn to you tonight, and we go away rejoicing of a soul that has come to you. And as Christians, we might be drawn closer. I trust you for it all. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The... World today, I don't know if you've noticed it, but is going awry, going a different direction than I ever thought possible in my lifetime. Um, I was born in 1950, and, and I remember when things were a lot simpler. I don't, I, I don't remember horses, okay, but I do remember when we had electricity and we had one light bulb hanging in the uh, living room, and uh, um, we did have indoor plumbing. When we moved down there to where we are now back in 1954, um, Dad had remodeled the house and we had indoor plumbing. That, that was a great thing. But I do remember the outhouse. He hadn't tore it down yet. And um, so I've seen a lot of changes. And I used to think that people, my parents who were older, probably saw more changes than I did. But I'm coming to the conclusion that I'm seeing more in my lifetime than what they ever did. And we're seeing ungodliness prevail in the world that we live in. And this passage of Scripture here talks about God's dealing with his people. And notice what he says. Some, have you ever questioned whether God is still at work? I do sometimes. But I don't have to question that very long because the Holy Spirit of God that lives within me reveals the reality of what he's been doing in my life. Uh, through it all, we sang that song. I appreciated that so much. And I can look back <coughs> on my life. I don't have to go back to my salvation experience and know I'm a child of God. I can, I can look at even the last few days and see how God was working in my life. And I know that I'm a child of God because God was working. The Holy Spirit revealing himself to me and showing me things that I could not otherwise know. All right? So in this passage here, God makes a statement um, that God's um, hands are, are not limited in his ability, not saying he's limited in his ability to do a work, but rather there is something that is causing him not to be able to do a work. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, I think that we, we believe that God can do things, but we don't trust him enough to put our faith and trust daily in him to meet our every need. I don't know, this morning when I got up and when my feet hit the floor, I thought about, I always wake up with concerns on my heart and my 
mine. One of them is, is the cattle I have. It's muddy out there. And I got some heifers going to have calves, and, and uh, <coughs> I need to sort them out a little bit. I got some older cows that need to be uh, gotten away. I keep thinking I need to sort them out, move one down, some down in the pasture, try, and it's on my mind. This morning when I got up, though, I thought, those old cows are in pretty good shape. I gave them a lot of hay yesterday. And I hit the ground. I know you think I'm silly, but I think about those things. I can find more things to worry about than you can imagine. But this morning, I didn't do that. I don't know. And I I immediately thank God for that fact that I'm trusting him, looking forward to coming to God's house. It was Sunday. I look forward to Sundays. And I enjoy coming and worshiping with God's people and hearing the word of God proclaimed and singing. And I think that... that, um, I don't need to, (coughs) excuse me, I don't need to look for things, but I do sometimes in my flesh to worry about. And uh, we can trust God, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarm. Think about that. We sing those songs, but we don't do what we say when we're singing those. And God is saying to his people here through Isaiah that God can, it's not that God cannot save, but he's limited in his ability to save. He is still the same God he's always been. He's the God of the universe. He's a God that created this world. His hand is still on this world, I believe. God's got it all under control. You don't have to worry about whether God's wringing his hands. He's never done that. You can trust him. That sounds interesting to me, doesn't it? To be a God that's like that. And then we need to put our faith and trust in him. But he goes on down here to say that um, the reason is, is because of the sin of his people that he's hid his face and and he cannot hear his people. Now I want you to think about this just a little bit. I want to go back just a little bit. God in the Old Testament, which I believe is relevant for us today, is important for us to preach from it, that God took Abraham out of the land of the Ur of Chaldeans, and he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now, why did God do that? God had a specific plan in his mind, and he told Abraham he was going to make him a mighty nation and that his offspring would be greater than the sands of the sea. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did Abraham see that? No, he did not. Did God keep his promise? He most certainly did. And so God worked in his life, in his descendants' life. And they were rascals. Remember a guy named Jacob? He was the supplanter is what that really means. And he was a trickster. But God worked in his life and brought him to the point where he began to trust God. And then he went down to Egypt, and then God, um, they were there, and he prepared that place for them. In in Jacob's son, Joseph, one of the most amazing stories. He's a type of Christ in the Old Testament, actually, Joseph is. And God put them there, and then they became slaves. God told them he was going to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And you know the story, how God just uh, moved in an unusual way in Pharaoh's heart, changed his heart, changed his mind. You can have confidence today that God still holds the hands of kings in his hands. He still has control of them. I think we can see that even in our world today. I won't get into that. But he brought them out. And as soon as they got across the Red Sea on dry land, hardly had the waters got put back together, 
until the people of Israel begin to murmur. And remember what they did? They created a golden calf and they begin to worship the calf. Moses was up on the mountain and he came down and there they were. And they repented, but they were constantly getting away from God. God put them in a land and gave them the land of Canaan and he, the promised land. He said, you won't even have to dig the wells. They'll already be dug for. You won't even have to plant vineyards. They'll already, already be there. And that's exactly what he did. Now, unfortunately, the people did not claim all of the land that they should have. Uh, if you study the Bible, you'll find that's true. And then he uh, uh, told them, and in the wilderness, he gave them the law, the Old Testament law. Now, I'm sure most of you have wondered, why did God do that? Why did he give the Old Testament law? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think it was because mainly for them to look at the law and realize that they couldn't do enough work to be saved. They needed a Savior. And so God created the plan where they would shed the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb, a, a blemished lamb, and that lamb they would each year for the family would would make an atonement for sin, but they were always looking for a Messiah who would one day come and take away the sin. Now, today people question, what's the value of the Old Testament law? I think it has value. I, I'm not going to get into that, but we have the Ten Commandments that, that are a guide for us. We're not under the law. Thank God we're not under the law. One of the songs we sing tonight, I'm free in Christ. Do you know that? Do you understand? I'm not, I'm not bound by law. I'm not bound by what I do. It's what God has done. And I have a hope in heaven because I put my faith and trust in him. And so God had a plan. But they rebelled and rebelled and rebelled against him. And they've got to this point where they have gotten away from God. And God is lamenting the fact that because of their iniquities, because of their sin, God's ability to work with them because he's a holy God is limited, all right? Now, that's scary to me. That says something to me today. And you may ask, well, that's Old Testament. Is there anything in the New Testament? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn over to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I'm going to read a verse of Scripture, verse 34. In 1 Corinthians <clears throat> the 15th chapter, Paul is dealing with the idea of those who didn't believe that Christ was resurrected. And he deals with that in many of the verses previous to this. And he said, if Christ is not risen, we are, we're, we're living a false religion. We have no hope if there's no hope in the resurrection. That was a big issue in the, in the days with the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the Old Testament are that the idea of a resurrection, and therefore they were sad, you see. Wouldn't that make you sad? And so, but we have a hope of a resurrection. <laughs> I, 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 once in a while I think about this thing. I, I think about the cemetery over here. When Christ returns and raptures the church, I wonder what that cemetery is going to look like. I believe that it will be a bodily resurrection. And I believe the, our, our spirit will unite with a, with a new body. And I, I, I believe it will be a real hard job for them to mow the yard after the, the uh, rapture. I know you think I'm nuts, but I think about this stuff. I, I mean, and I think it's important, too, because we understand that we will 
literally rise from the dead, just as Jesus did. That's why the resurrection is so important to us. If there was no resurrection in Christ, then there wouldn't be any for us. But man, we have a hope in Christ Jesus. <laughs> well, we just come through the Christmas season a few weeks back, and man, it, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing that God would come to the earth, that he would love us enough to send his son to the manger of Bethlehem and be born, and he would give up the glories of heaven and become a man. Wow, I can't, can't understand. Then he lived a sinless life. And then he went to the cross of Calvary. That sinless life is important too. By the way, he kept the Old Testament law fully. All right? And then he also then died a substitutionary death for you and I. And you've heard the song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. My friend, my sin put him there. And yours also, the sin of the whole world. And I believe there is, there is salvation, there's enough redemption there for the whole world to be saved. But I want you to look at this in the 34th verse of uh, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. Now, I read this a few years ago, and as I was reading it, it just seemed like this verse stood out to me, and it spoke to me. Notice what it says. It says, Awake to righteousness, and do not sin. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Wow. If you read that, do you believe that we have responsibility today as Christians? We most certainly do. And he's even saying, Paul is here, that we have the responsibility that our unrighteousness and our ungodliness as God's people will limit God's ability to reach out to a lost world. Now, I don't totally understand that, but that's what it says. And God didn't save you just to make you satisfied and saying, hallelujah, you're going to heaven someday. But he saved you and brought you through the process of justification, saved you. Now you're in the, in the process of sanctification. Now God is setting you apart from the world. And he is calling you to be different. Come you out from among them, be you separate, saith the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, this is not a popular message in Christianity today, you don't hear too much of it. There are some that are doing it. But I think the, the future of our world, and the, listen, the salvation of lost people depends upon God's people being faithful to his word and turning from the world and turning to righteousness. Now, I know you're thinking, boy, this is a lot like the message last Sunday night. You're exactly right. But I'm going to harp on this for a while, all right? I'm going to camp here a little bit. Because Paul is saying that we affect the lives of other people. Now think about this. Did you know that people are watching you? They are. I live where I live. My neighbors know a lot about me. <clears throat> we, we live about a mile and a half off of Route 34. We come up from Parrish, if any of you know where Parrish is, which is on the highway between... Benton and Thompsonville. But on that mile and a quarter, I go up and down that road lots of times. And I remember a few years ago, there was a family living in a house there, and I made a statement to my wife. I said, there's something going on at that house. She said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. But I can just tell things are not like they were. They had some young children. Wasn't very long, 
I realized and heard that they were splitting up and they were getting a divorce. Now, if I can discern something like that, and Kay still gets kind of amazed at me that I have that kind of, I mean, I just watch people. I mean, I just don't go down the road and not look. I'm looking, all right? Uh, I may be dangerous, you know. Um, but, and, and so if I'm watching, other people are watching you and I. I don't think I've told this story, but many years ago, uh, there was an elevator down at Thompsonville where you could sell grain. And, and I mean, I just started farming. I wasn't 23 or 24 years of age. And I remember there were some older men uh, talking and they got to talking about something, some TV show on Sunday night, of all things. And there was an older gentleman looked at me and he said, you don't get to watch that, do you? He said, you go to church on Sunday night. I didn't know he knew I existed. You know what I mean? I was a young guy, these older gentlemen I had respect for, but I realized the Holy Spirit taught me people are watching us. And everything we do has value. And so that made me understand. It's helped me to understand that people are watching my life. So my neighbors are. So I try to treat them kindly. And I'm learning how to do all of these things. This process of sanctification ain't over, in, don't, excuse my English, okay, isn't over until we die. And I don't see any dead people in here. So it doesn't make any difference how old you are. There is a reason why you are here and God has put you where you are. And you are only responsible, you are only responsible for that work in your part of the world, wherever it may be, on your job, where you do your grocery shopping, whatever you do, people are watching you. And I, I just love to come here and I appreciate the young children that are here, I, um, that you bring those. And I love to see the kids in church. I think they ought to be in church. And um, I grew up in Steel City Baptist Church up there uh, just east of Benton. And Kay and I got married and we went and we became members of that church. But I remember so many things from that experience of going to church. My mom and dad took us to church. They were faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Wasn't any question whether we were going to go. And I learned from that. And you and I, um, we're, is there a football game tonight? I can't remember. I, I think there is. And I appreciate the fact that you thought enough to come to God's house. And it's not because of me. I know that. You're just faithful to the Lord. And I appreciate that. Is there a value to you coming on Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Sunday? I see some of you shaking your head. Yes, you believe that. And I want you to know there is value. Because my, my neighbors know that I go to church, I try to share the gospel with them. Many of them are lost. A lot of them are lost. But I try to be faithful to take God's word to them. So I don't want to be guilty of anyone that I'm keeping from salvation. Now that's a heavy load, isn't it? I mean, there is a verse of Scripture said that our, our, their blood will be required of us. I'm not going to get into that because that's scary stuff to me. But I'm saying that we have responsibility. Now I'd like we turn back over to the 10th chapter of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 23. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read it here because I left my glasses in the truck, and, I'm, and the light's not real bright here, so I'm going to read it off of that. And I hope you've got the right version. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. 
I like the New King James, okay? It says, I have the right, this is Paul saying, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. He quotes that two times, but not everything is constructive. Now, when I read verses like that, I just really get confused. I mean, it sounds like double talk, doesn't it? All right, to me a little bit. But here's what I believe the Holy Spirit has shown to me is this. Paul was a student of the Old Testament law. He was, a, he was part of the aristocrats, and he believed that this thing of Christ was wrong, and he even went about trying to, to kill Christians. He was very much so, and you know the story. He, on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared or spoke to him, and he was converted. Now, he knew the law, and I want you to understand that the Old Testament, I said this earlier, the Old Testament law is important to us. Why? Because it was a, a schoolmaster, a taskmaster that made us to know we were not right with God. You see? That's interesting. How did they know they were not saved and they needed a Savior before the law was given? You ever thought about that one? Well, I maybe said something about that last Sunday night. I believe conscience revealed that to them. For instance, how did Adam and Eve know that they had sinned against God? Remember, they hid from God in the cool of the evening when he showed up. And I believe it was conscious, but I, I mean, I just think they knew that they had done wrong. And so the Old Testament law, the Pharisees and all of those leaders they thought they could keep the law and be saved. And I'm going to tell you, the law will cause you to die and go to hell. You can't keep the law in its perfection. And that's the only way you'd have to keep it all. And so Paul is saying here, this is what I think he's saying, I think it's important that I'm, to understand that we're not under the law today. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are free. Remember the old uh, Negro Spiritual said, free at last, free at last. I think it was uh, Martin Luther King, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. That's the way we Christians are. We're free at last. We, we don't have the bondage of sin anymore around our neck because we are in Christ Jesus. He, I'm going to heaven because I put my faith and trust in him. So Paul is dealing with this. Now, so do we ignore the old law? I don't think we do. I think the Old Testament, first of all, the Ten Commandments. Do we ignore the Ten Commandments? No, we don't. They're value. They bring order to life, by the way. And my friends, the way the world is going now is bringing disorder unbelievable when people can't figure out whether they're male or female. Think about all the, you see it, it's crazy. And, I mean, we could just go on about this stuff, but I'm not going to do it. But the Old Testament law was we couldn't keep it. And so Paul says, I have the right in Christ in my salvation. I can't lose my salvation. I'm glad for that because I lost it a long time ago. God's keeping me. All right? And so he's saying, but there, not everything is beneficial, nor is everything constructive. Now, here's what I believe this means. That the Old Testament law covered a lot of ground. But it didn't cover everything. Now let me give you an example. Here's where um, the rubber meets the road here tonight. I'll be done in just a little bit. For me, when I, find, when I got saved when I was 
almost 20 years of age, and I look back on what God did soon after I met Kay, and we got married, and God gave me direction for my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do in school. I finally decided I ought to get, go ahead and get my bachelor's degree, and, and I did that. And all of that made it possible for me to finally get to where I wanted to be, and I thought God wanted me to be in the vocation of farming. That's where I'm at now. I'm thankful for that. It's been a rough road. A whole hadn't been easy. I survived the 80s, 19% interest. That'll help your heart real quick. And uh, I, uh, so in my walk, I begin to, I begin to listen to preachers, and I started listening on the radio, and I was listening to some things on the radio, and, I'm, and, and listen, don't be offended by this, okay? If you do this, don't worry, you're okay, all right? But I realize, I love country music. Anybody here like country music? I do. And, but that, I was back in the 80s and the 90s, and and I got to listen to some of it, and I thought, this stuff is not real edifying to me. It says in my passage about it wasn't good, wasn't edifying. And so the Holy Spirit of God began to deal with me, and I was trying to listen to preachers, and there was other stations I could listen to, and I finally one day made a commitment that I wasn't going to listen to that anymore. Now, did I get saved? No. I just got to a point where I decided the things of God were more important than what I desired in that area, all right? And so I started listening to um, Christian stations, and we have a great opportunity today to listen to some tremendous preachers day in, day out, music. And, and so I've, I've got that out of my life many years ago. It's funny to me that sometimes, I got a couple of grandsons that like that old country music. And I, they play it, and I haven't forgotten the words one bit. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Now, I'm not going back to that, and I'm not saying that if you listen to country music, it's all bad. It's not, okay? But you know what I'm talking about, what you expose yourself to, what you watch on TV, um, who you uh, value in your life. And I think that, that this passage is saying these things, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, the Lord's going to put his finger on things in life. And as I grow in my walk, I want to... to identify with God more fully every day. It's not about me just squeaking into heaven. I want to go on, go in with some crowns. I'd like to have some, some um, souls that I bring with me because I was trying to be faithful. We don't know what the ultimate is. Now listen, I want you to understand this, that you're not me, but you are you, and you only have to be responsible for what God has called you to do. I love that, that God's economy is wonderful. See, because I can't be Billy Graham. I can't even be the man that maybe some others that I know even in this room. I really, I really feel that way. Some great men and women of God here in this church that I've got to know. But I have a responsibility to be faithful to the Lord for he has called me. And that leads me down a lot of different paths. And quite honestly, it's scary sometimes for me. All right? Now I'm going to relate a story um, about my life and where I'm at. Um, I, I'm 72 years old. Sometimes I just think I'm finally hitting my stride with the Lord a little bit. I'm getting there, you know? And about four years ago, I decided that I would run for the county board in Franklin County. 
I got elected to that board, and one of the reasons was I had uh, been County Farm Bureau manager, and I wrote an article in the, the paper on a weekly basis for over 10 years. My senior English teacher would really be surprised to have known that I'd done that. I hate writing, but every Friday I had to have a, a uh, something, and I did that. So um, my picture was in the paper in, in that article, and I had various people say to me they enjoyed reading it. And, and so God had, had put me in some places, and so I got elected. Well, when I got elected, it wasn't very long after I got elected, I thought, I don't know whether I want to do this or not. And I began to realize that it was either gonna, I was either going to just go to meetings and not do anything, or I was going to uh, quit, because I actually thought about quitting. And then the other thing was, the other option was this, to get in a leadership position. After two years of being on there, I got elected chairman of the board. It was a 5-4 vote. It wasn't, you know, I didn't win by, I just barely made it. I had to vote for myself. And those first two years were really difficult because I was in over my head. It wasn't just the spiritual side of it, and I'll share with that just a little bit, but it was just understanding county government and budgets and all that stuff. And I've had to, I'm getting there. I'm, expo you know, spending time trying to figure out where we are. And, and I, uh, but then I also had this problem that I found out that your friends, sometimes you felt like they weren't your friends. And I'd been in a couple of meetings where a guy, a couple of guys had attacked me, said I had some secret meetings, and well, I never had done that, and really just attacked me pretty good. And it began to bother me. I mean, I, and then I finally realized that God had prepared me all these years for the idea is it don't make any difference. I want to do the right thing by those folks. But I had to let this roll off my back or it was going to ruin my spiritual life. You see what I mean? You got neighbors you got problems with? Maybe you need to give it up. And so I finally just decided that I was just going to let this stuff be like water on a duck's back. And when I did, it gave me freedom. And it's a spiritual truth from the Word of God. Now, I'll defend myself when I need to, but I can't worry about what everybody thinks. Now, I'm very careful about that, and I'll give you another example of it. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a, um, a uh, friend's place. I was getting some hay. And he asked me, he goes to a church, and I've spoken to his church, their church before, and he asked me, could I uh, speak at their church? Um, maybe next Sunday, I don't know what day it was. And I told myself, well, like, I can't do that. And then I got to thinking about that later, and I thought, I don't know whether I was as kind to him when I said that as I ought to have been. It began to bother me a little bit. So you know what I did? I got on the phone and I called him. I told him, Carl, I said, you asked me the other day about whether we were out there in the truck loading up hay, and, and I wasn't thinking too much, but I knew that I had some commitments this month. And you said, ask if I would come, and I told you I couldn't. I said, I hope I didn't offend you because I kind of blew, I felt like maybe I blew it. I don't want you to be offended because I love coming to your church and I love speaking at your church. And I appreciate you asking me. Oh, he said, no problem at all. But you see what I mean? We need to make sure we've got our accounts cleared up. And that we, and I think it'll make a difference in his life that I was willing to do that. What about you in your marriage relationship? Oh, boy, now you are really getting into areas you ought not get into. Between you, your wife or your husband, are you dealing with that correctly? It's, 
listen, it's, boy, it, it is the most important part of your life, your home life, because your wife or your husband knows you better than anybody else, don't they? And your children. Boy, you got to be careful. Now, time's up. I'm going to quit. So I want to ask you a question. Are you where you ought to be with the Lord? I'm going to tell this story because it happened last night. We have a, uh, one of our grandsons going to turn 18 this week. I'm going to be gone all week. And I um, really don't want to be gone, but I have to. Four nights this week, I'll be gone from home. And so we decided to take him out last night to uh, Texas Roadhouse. He likes uh, steak, and I do too. And they have pretty good steak there. I don't like the idea that you've got to get on the Internet to try to get, you know, get in and all that. I, you know, I don't know. But anyway, we got, we got in. And at the table where we were sitting last night, it goes to show you that the world is everywhere. Even at Texas Roadhouse, where they're playing country music in the background, you can't hardly talk because it's so loud. I don't like that. But there was some people at a table over to the left of me. And I couldn't see them very well. But I noticed there was, I think it was two young girls. And I looked a couple of times, kind of watched them. I watched people. And they had the world all over them. I mean, it was on them. You know what I mean? Uh, and they had enough metal on them, they they'd blow up a metal detector. And I happened to catch them. They were sitting beside each other. There's another person. I don't know who was on the other side of them. But they, they were going to take a selfie, and I didn't see it all. But what they did, they leaned up to each other, and they stuck their tongues out with this stuff in their mouths and clinked it. And I'm thinking, I'm glad I don't have small kids. I don't know if I want to take them to see this stuff. You understand what I'm saying? And, and it's, it's in Hamilton County, it's in Franklin County, it's all over. And you and I need to guard. Now here's what i got to be careful with, is that I become too judgmental. But I want you to know, I've been accused of being so narrow-minded I could look through a keyhole with both eyes open. That's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? But I think that we have a responsibility that we need to keep a narrow focus, that we're where God wants us to be. We're sensitive to people. We, we, we ought to love those people. And I would have been kind if I'd have had the opportunity to speak to them or whatever, but I just saw it and I thought, my goodness, what's next? And so we need to make this world a better place when we leave. What's it going to be? What are they going to say about you when you're gone? I wonder about what my kids will think, my grandkids. But I want to honor the Lord in my daily life. And so I have this one thing I want to show you. I have this uh, phrase. It's in my shop on the back. I had it printed several years ago. Um, and you probably heard it before. But only one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I see that sometimes when I go out in my shop. It's way back there in the back up high. But I put that there because I have people come to the shop and there's different ones, and, and I, it's interesting to be talking to somebody, and I can see they're looking at that. You know what I mean? Gives me opportunity to share the gospel with people. And then this week, knowing that I was going to be here this week, there's a guy in McLeansboro that I do some business with, 
And I just happened to think about him the other day as I was over here getting some parts. And I called him, just asking what he was doing. Just say hi to him and blah, blah, blah. And I told him he used to come down to Thompsonville on Fridays and eat fish with us, Cowboy Club. We, a bunch of us, we, we get together and we have a prayer and, and, uh, and I invited him to come. He hadn't been. He said, you guys still doing that? Yeah, we're still doing it. Well, he came down there the other day, Friday, and I invited him to church tonight. I don't see him here tonight, but you see what I mean? You be kind to people. You develop relationships with them and you do what you can and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You see what I mean? I don't have to win people to the Lord. I just got to tell them about the Lord. You see what I mean? It doesn't say that we go out and win the world. For God so loved the world, he gave it. Or, not, that's the wrong one. Um, the uh, Matthew 28, 19, 20. But we are to be ambassadors for him. Make disciples of those in the world. It doesn't say in there to win them to Christ, does it? It says to make disciples. But we share the gospel. I'm going to say this and I'll quit, okay? Because I find this interesting here at this church. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we talk almost every day. And I've talked about Ten Mile Church, and I've been interested to watch what has happened here and what is happening here at Ten Mile Church. Why is it happening? Why is the growth that you have, what is it? And this is what my friend said to me. He said, I think it's organic. I said, what do you mean it's organic? He said, well, they're preaching the word, they're being faithful to the Word of God, and the people are going out and being faithful to the Word of God as they live, and it's impacting other people, and it's just naturally drawing people to the church. Think about that. That is exactly what the Great Commission's all about. Now, you can go to Africa, and that's fine, and we have missionaries, and what, but we're in Hamilton County and Franklin County or wherever we are. And organically, we can grow by just being faithful and, and living godly, righteous lives after the Word of God. You've got the opportunity because you've got a preacher that'll preach it. You see what I mean? And so do it. Sick them. Go after them. There's a lost world. It's an opportunity to, that you have. Don't look at tomorrow. Oh, no, another day. Oh, Lord, what an opportunity for me to share the gospel. Do you ever pray? God, send somebody my way that I might share the gospel. You see what I'm getting at? It's a mindset, a, a biblical a mindset, not a worldly mindset. I've got the world, I can let the world have its way, but I need to have a biblical mindset. So I challenge you today, would you let the Holy Spirit just speak to you wherever you are? Maybe you didn't get anything out of this, and I can understand it. I'll just be honest with you, all right? But maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that you got something in your life, or maybe something you need to move more closely to Him. And so if you're here tonight and you, you want to come and pray, or I don't know, maybe you're lost here tonight. If you are, you can be saved. You're not here by chance. And the tug at your heart is not me, it's the Holy Spirit of God, the God of the universe. Somebody said in our Sunday school this morning that the God of the universe would come to us and convict us and make us to know we are lost. What an amazing honor that is. So you could be saved tonight. Jamie, you come and lead us. Let's stand and we'll have a word of prayer. Father, I don't know if you can accomplish anything here tonight, but I trust you for it. And I pray that you'd help me. I pray for my life that this week, I'm going to be in some different places this week than I've ever been before. And I pray that you'd help me, that I'd be faithful to you, that I'd do what you want me to do, and I'd be, I'd be looking for opportunities to share the gospel.
They're all over. There's lost people all over the place. Help us to do it. I don't know, maybe somebody here has got something in their life that God's been, you've been dealing with, the Holy Spirit has. Help them to surrender to diet. This together, we can reach our area for the cause of Christ and have an influence. Help us to do that. In the name of Christ, I pray and ask it all. Amen.